Well, I want to begin this morning by reading our text. We're in Acts chapter 1, uh, verses 4 through 8. So if you haven't grabbed your Bibles or turned them on, uh, you can go ahead and do that. Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 8 is what we're going to be looking at today. I'm just going to take these verses, just just take them apart, and just hopefully apply them um, as is appropriate. So we read this. It says, it says Acts chapter 1, verse 4. And while staying with them, that is Jesus, he was staying with them, or eating with them, just being with them, living with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the father has fixed for his own authority by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Well, let me ask you this morning by a quick informal uh, survey, how many of you are looking forward to the day that this covid 19 crisis ends all right yeah for the record for the record okay for the record facebook everybody raise their hand i bet you were doing that at home right everybody raise your hand i cannot wait for that time to to get home when we no longer have to wear a a mask to enter a store or school or or work or church and we can stop playing doctor every day right because i long for the day we can stop playing surgeon now my dad was an orthopedic surgeon and so he wore this garb often, um, but it would be nice for us to stop dressing up and playing this. Um, but are there other things you're waiting for? I mean, this is the big thing that maybe all of us can, can join in on, but are there other things you're waiting for? Maybe you are 15 and you're waiting to turn 16 until you get your license, Gage, right? Just waiting for that day, right? You're 15, Right? You're 16, you have your license. All right, so maybe you're not waiting. Maybe there are others who are waiting. That day has come. Ah, Becca, you have your permit? When do you turn 16? November. Okay, maybe you're just waiting for that day, right? Maybe some of you were just waiting for graduation. We finally get done with school and it's all done and in the past. Uh, Maybe some of you are waiting for a spouse, which you can marry. Some of you may be waiting for a better job. Maybe you're waiting for retirement. Maybe you're waiting for cancer to like finally be done and take your life so you can go with Christ in glory. Like there's hundreds of things that we could think about we, we need to just wait for. Um, and I could mention a hundred things and still not mention the things that you are, are waiting for in your own life. Maybe some specific trial. You just want to go away. When truth be told, we're all waiting for something. In fact, much of life is waiting Uh, In Psalm 40, verse 1, we read of David's waiting. He said this, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. It's interesting, David doesn't tell us how long he waited, only that he waited patiently. Literally, I love how the Hebrew does this. Uh, David, when he writes this, he says, waiting, I waited. Just like like it's a superlative way that the Hebrew writers write when uh, Adam God told Adam he could eat of any of the trees in the garden. He says, eating you may eat. Just, you just eat abundantly. But he says, in the day that you eat of it, dying you will die. 
And here David says, waiting, I waited. Implies it was a long time. Implies really a, a difficult time. We don't know how long it was, but eventually God heard his cry because of what he said there in verse 1. He inclined to me and heard my cry. And whatever it was that David was waiting for, he experienced the Lord's faithfulness to deliver him from his, from his trouble. And, and this, this is a good verse for any of you who are just waiting. Just even seeing David's testimony, how I waited patiently for the Lord and his trouble came to an end, but that wasn't the end of his trouble. So that was just the end of, of one trouble, because as David continues in Psalm 40, consider verses 12 and 13. He says, Evils have encompassed me beyond number, and my iniquities have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. He's just in another trouble. He's just, he's just waiting again. He says, on one hand, I waited for the Lord. He answered me. He inclined his ear to my cry. But now I'm in another, another trouble. I'm, I'm waiting again. And at the end of the psalm, it's interesting, the very last verse, he says, you are my, deli- my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. So the psalm ends with him just waiting. And he wants God just, just quickly and uh, just don't delay, just rescue me from this. And, and, and truth be told, this is our lives. We're often waiting, waiting for something, and waiting is often difficult. And yet God calls us to patience in our wait. Patience is often difficult because waiting is difficult. And, and too often our prayer is this, God, give me patience and I want it now. Right, just a contradiction right there. And the application to our text this morning is, is, is really this, about waiting. That's why I'm, I'm thinking trying us to, to think about this. Wait for God's timing in your life, whatever you are waiting for. And my, my prayer for you in your waiting is that you would experience David's experience in the middle of the psalm when he says, he begins it with, I, I waited patiently and, and God heard my cry. And then he spoke about how God delivered him from that. Before then, he speaks of another trial that he's enduring and dealing with. But he says in Psalm 40, verse 11, your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. And for whatever you're waiting for, I, I, I trust that today's text even would help to, to realize that God's steadfast love is what you need. And, and you need to trust that God is faithful to preserve you and trust in Him. And so that's our application this morning is really to wait because that's what the disciples are told in our text. They were told to wait. They're told to wait for the Holy Spirit. That is the title of my message this morning, Waiting for the Holy Spirit. Now, at this point, it's really helpful for us just to, to think about as we think about going through the book of Acts. Here's a, a common issue that we're going to have uh, in, in terms of the fact that Acts is a, is a narrative of historical events, and as a result, all of it doesn't, doesn't really apply to us. I mean, for instance, interesting here that the disciples are told to wait for the Holy Spirit, um, but that command doesn't apply to us today because the Holy Spirit's come. And, and, and that we'll read about that in a couple of weeks in uh, Acts chapter 2. And af- after Acts chapter 2, that command is no longer applicable to the disciples either. Because at that point, the, deci- the Holy Spirit had come. And so it's kind of like this narrative through. And so we just need to be careful with, with application. And, and always need to be aware of this historical dynamic. And realize that in Acts, there's always a difference between descriptive and prescriptive. So when Luke describes what happens or, or what, what things are told there, it's not necessarily that is prescriptive, a command to us. 
And we'll, we'll consider that when we think about verse 15 and following, when they chose Matthias to replace Judas by lot. Rolling dice, if you will. Like, is that, is that how we should select rulers or leaders in the church? That's how they did. And there are some historical circumstances there. But we'll, we'll deal with that at that point. So we need to be careful because as the disciples were commanded to wait for the Holy Spirit, right, that's not necessarily our command, but this whole idea of waiting is certainly for us today. And I think it's helpful. So let's, let's look at my first point. I'll show you what I mean. Just wait for the promise. That's what Jesus told the disciples to do. While staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Here was Jesus in Jerusalem with his disciples. The idea here is he's meeting with them intimately in some regards, over a meal perhaps, just walking about, living living with them some way. He was presenting himself alive, verse 3, after his suffering with many proofs, right? He was demonstrating he really was alive. He was speaking with them about the kingdom of God, verse 3. And he tells them, you're in Jerusalem, you just wait and you stay right here. And then he tells them what this promise is that they need to, to wait for. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, this wasn't anything new for the disciples. In fact, they'd heard it before. That's what Jesus said at the end of verse 4. He said, here's wait for the promise which you have heard from me. You've heard this before. This isn't anything new. What's interesting here is you search the Scripture like, like where did Jesus tell them this? You will search in vain because it's nowhere recorded in the Bible, where it is that Jesus told this to his disciples. We can think maybe it was in the upper room, right, on the night in which Jesus was crucified. John 13 to 17 includes this whole discourse that Jesus had with them before he left, and he talked a lot about the Holy Spirit. And John records how Jesus told him, I'm going away, but you're not going to be left alone because I'm going to send the helper to you. Listen to what Jesus says in John 14, verse 16. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. In other words, I'm going away, but I'm going to ask the Father. The Father's going to send the Spirit, the Spirit of truth, which he calls the helper. And later he says, these things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the implication is then when he's gone. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. And a little while later, in John sixteen five and 7, he says, I'm going to him who sent me. I'm going to my Father. But I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And really, Jesus says, I'm going away, but the Holy Spirit is, is coming to you. The one he calls the Helper, the one who comes alongside and helps them in the ministry. And when the Helper would come, he'd help them do supernatural things. And that's what John 16.8 says that, that the Helper, He will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. The Helper's going to come and do things. He's going to empower your ministry. And I think that's the idea here in verse 5, that the Holy Spirit will empower you to, to help them in your ministry. When, when John says, says this, he, he, he says that John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So those words aren't the same in John 14 and 16 as they are here, but sort of the same idea. The Spirit's going to come and, and baptize you with, with fire. Same thoughts, not the same words. But, but these words were not unique to Jesus. In fact, do you remember John the Baptist? During his ministry, people were coming to him and they're asking him, Are you the Christ? 
And, and his testimony was this. As I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So that's, that's John's words. Says, I, I'm, just, I'm just standing waist deep in water, and, and I'm baptizing you in water, but, but there's going to be one who's going to baptize you with, with fire. And so that's a language exactly that John used that Jesus perhaps probably picked up on that he told his disciples at a, at a later point. That's the point of verse 4, right? You heard from me. And I doubt that they understood what he was actually talking about, what it meant. And I doubt they understood what this meant about the Holy Spirit's come upon you, baptize you with, with fire. Right? How, how's he, how are you going to be baptized? Right? The Holy Spirit, not many days from now. But John the Baptist even talks about being baptized with fire. I don't think that they understood tongues of Acts chapter 2 that this refers to, that they will see here in, a, in a, some days from now. Right? Ten days after Jesus left, that was Pentecost. That's when they came. Right? But... I think that he, he, Jesus tries to describe this about baptism. He, he compares John's baptism with what the Holy Spirit is going to do. <clears throat> and I, I think what it's talking about is just this. It's John with water. right? He, he's standing there. He's immersing people this, for, for the repentance. He's just uh, submersing them, having the water come over them right? as they confess their sins. It's a, it's a sign of confession and cleansing. So also, the Holy Spirit will come and soak you. And just, and just be with you and to saturate you. And as John said, it'll be with fire, right? They'll be on fire for Jesus. And that's what the book of Acts speaks about. The Holy Spirit came upon the disciples and they were transformed. They were empowered. They were witnesses to the resurrection, willingly suffering persecution, even martyrdom. Why? Because the Holy Spirit baptized them. Or they're baptized in the Holy Spirit or how, how, however that works. The Spirit was upon them and just empowered them. And back to our text, at this point in redemption history, the, the disciples are commanded to wait. They're to wait for the promise. And um, so that's where I think really the application comes to us as well, that we may not be waiting for the Holy Spirit quite in the same way the disciples were, but, but we're to wait upon the promises of God. And, and like the disciples, right, we, we maybe not understand how God's promises will be fulfilled in our lives. And we might just be commanded just to, to wait like the disciples were. I mean, they're waiting in confusion. Like what? What is this? And we, we find even later in verse 14 that they're just praying. And there's longing and there's waiting. And then God comes. But maybe you are just waiting. And I just encourage you to wait for God's promises. Uh, trust in the promises. Like Lamentations 3, 24 and 25. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul that seeks Him. J- just know that if you're waiting for the Lord in some circumstance in your life, The Lord is good to you if you're waiting for Him and if you are seeking Him. Or trust in the promises of of Isaiah 41 and verse 10. Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So so maybe you're going through some trial. You're waiting or you're fearful of something. Just, Just trust that God says, don't fear because I'm with you and I'm upholding you and I'm strengthening you. So, so trust the promises that you don't need to fear as you wait for the Lord. Or 2 Corinthians 12.9 is another promise. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. There's something you're waiting for that's just a weakness. That you're longing for something better. You're longing for strength. You're longing as Paul was, right? This, 
this minister of Satan, right, to, to get him out, the, the thorn in the flesh, just get that, get that out of me. And he was weak. And God says, my grace is sufficient for you. As Paul wanted just to get over that trial of the thorn in the flesh, God said, my grace is sufficient. Or uh, another promise, uh, Matthew 11, verse 28, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. You're weary and heavy laden, you're just, you're just burdened by trying to be good enough, maybe. Or, or you're burdened by the cares of this world. You're burdened by your sin. Jesus says, just, just come to Him. And Jesus will give you rest. Forgive your sin. You take, put your sin upon His shoulders, not upon your own shoulders. Cast your burden upon Him and you can rest that God loves us. And that our sins are forgiven in Him as we come to Jesus by faith alone, just waiting for Him. I mean, we could go on and on and on the rest of the morning just talking about promises of God in the Old Testament that just or in the New Testament that just just trust and wait for the promises you see all over the scripture I just end with one simple promise with that governs all promises Hebrews 13:5 I will never leave you nor forsake you despite how dark things are how bad it looks how long you've been waiting that is always true. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And that's really the promise that Jesus says. I, though I'm leaving, though I'm going away, I'm not forsaking you. The Holy Spirit is going to come and to be with you, to empower you. So church family, I think this is the way to apply these things in our lives, is just to trust in the promises of God. Well, the disciples were told to wait for the promise of the Spirit coming. And uh, the disciples, secondly, were also told to wait for the kingdom. It's the thrust of verses 6 and 7. So when they come together, they asked him. Right? So here they were maybe with them, and then he told them they're coming back together again somehow. Maybe it's another class session like I talked about last time, taking the kingdom of God class, taking the resurrection class. And uh, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. And here in this other opportunity to interact with Jesus, right, the kingdom of God was upon their, their minds because of verse 3 said that that's what, God, what Jesus was talking to them about for 40 days. Was talking to them about the kingdom of God as he appeared to them after the resurrection. And, and when Jesus spoke about this Holy Spirit soon coming upon them, I think it was really natural for them to think about the coming kingdom. I mean, after all, if the Spirit's going to come, isn't the kingdom like soon to follow the Spirit coming? It's understandable, I think, that why they would ask them, Lord, is it this time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And, and there's lots to commend about this question. The, the question's filled with faith. They believed that Jesus was building his kingdom, and they were eager to see it built. So just believing with faith. Uh, Further, question filled with zeal. They're longing for the kingdom to come. They're eager for it to come. Almost as John said at the end of Revelation, come Lord Jesus, build your kingdom. Right? Like, just build it. We want it. Uh, their question filled with love for Jesus, right? They say he was going away. The disciples wanted to be with him. Are, are you going to build your kingdom? Are you going to be with us? Are you going to come to us? Is, is kingdom with him? But as much as we commend the disciples for this question, they also got it wrong. Uh, John Calvin commented, there are as many errors in this question as there are words. Um, just Even just, just look and think about these. They, they're looking for a kingdom to be restored. That is, is this time you're going to take your kingdom and you're going to restore it like back to what it was? But the kingdom of Jesus isn't something that's going back to the old. This is something entirely new. They didn't realize that. 
They're also looking for some natural political kingdom. They, they called it the kingdom of Israel. Are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They didn't realize that God was bringing a, a spiritual kingdom, not a, a physical, natural kingdom. So they didn't even understand what the kingdom was like. And furthermore, they were looking for the kingdom now. They wanted the victory before the battle. They didn't realize that the kingdom of Jesus was, bringing, was, was coming later after a long battle of suffering with tears. They, they wanted it now. Is it, is it now you're getting it? And he said, no. You got to go through some suffering. You got to go through some tribulations first. And I love how Jesus answers. He says, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. Shows another error of the question, really. They were looking for knowledge about the timing of the kingdom. It's not for the disciples to know. It's God alone to know. And God knows. It says even here that he's fixed it by his own authority. There's a day when he will send Jesus right, to take the kingdom to himself. When he will make his enemies as a footstool for his feet. When all the, the kings that are striving against God, against God and his anointed, there's going to be a day when he plants his king upon Zion, his holy mountain, and rules the earth. And God is the authority to do that. But Jesus said, time, when? It's not for you to know. And I just say this, there are many today who can take heed to this admonition. It's not for us to know the timing of the kingdom. It's not. There are many who seek to know the timing of the kingdom. And so what they do is they delve into the mysteries of God. Mysteries in which we have no business really looking into. Because it says, it's not for you to know. He's the only one to know. And I fear that there's so many who do this. Who look to the Bible, and, and I commend them for looking at the Bible, but all they're looking for is the Bible, and then what kind of signs are there? Looking for knowledge, always looking, right? Reading the newspaper about the Middle East. Is it going to be there? Is it, is it coming? Is it, is it, I think it's going to be like this. And they, they got all their charts all lined out, and, and it's going to be this time, and, and who knows when it's going to be. And often, that's just where it ends. It ends in knowledge, it ends in speculative knowledge, because I've got special insight to the mysteries of God. People who look into these things often think that they're in the know and everyone else is in the dark. And it's no accident, by the way, that many of those who are captivated mostly by studying and researching and knowing the time of God's coming are often the very ones who embrace conspiracy theories as well. Because conspiracy theories are, are filled by the desire to really understand the world. And, and see, I've understood the world in a special way, right? right? No, like, you're all in the dark, but I've got this special knowledge. And, and I know I've got the insight about how the world is really working. And that goes on with eschatology as well. When people study, like, oh, I know really how it's all going to transfer, how it's all going to pan out, and how it's all going to result, and I know when it's going to be. And Jesus said, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons, that the Father has fixed by his own authority. In other words, he just says this. He says, wait for the kingdom. He says, just wait for it. Don't concern yourself so much about when the kingdom will come. Concern yourself certainly about what the kingdom will be like. For those who trust in Jesus, the kingdom will be like, as he describes, this, this great inheritance that you receive that's imperishable and undefiled and unfading. This inheritance, which is a city that's filled with, with gold, streets of gold and gates of silver. This inheritance is a joyful place where there's no more crying and no more tears. 
where we will be with God for eternity and dwell with him forever. Listen to Revelation 21, verse 3. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. See, the kingdom will come when, when God releases Jesus to come back upon the earth, not as the lamb that he came the first time, but as the lion of Judah. And he will come as a white horse, as a conquering king. And all the world will know that Jesus is taking claim over his kingdom. Matthew 24, verse 27, the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. It'll be a great day, right? When Jesus comes to judge the earth. Psalm 96, Psalm 98 speaks about how the, the heavens and the earth rejoice because the king is coming to judge the earth and to set everything right. His friends will gather to himself and his enemies will cast into the lake of fire. Know all about that for sure. When it happens, we don't know. No, we should long for it. Jesus told us we should pray for it. Remember what he taught us to pray? Saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What? Thy kingdom come he he wants us to pray for the kingdom wait for the kingdom long for the kingdom and so really that's my exhortation to you that that look with eager anticipation for god's kingdom to come long for it wait for it like david says i waited patiently for the lord just realize that in that day when the kingdom comes all wrongs will be made right final justice will prevail so wait for the kingdom I think that's a direct application for us that is appropriate for us. Finally, the disciples are told not only to wait for the promise, wait for the kingdom, but thirdly, to wait for power. We see this in verse 8. It says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. Now, we looked at this verse the very first day we looked at the book of Acts because this verse really is, is like a core overview of the whole book. It, it like outlines everything. I mean, it speaks about the spread of the gospel beginning at Jerusalem and then surrounding uh, around regions to north and Samaria, south in Judea, and then just spanning out to the remotest parts of the earth. And, and the geography of this verse gives us a good outline of the book. As uh, Acts records the kingdom of God spread throughout the world, chapters 1 through 7, Jerusalem. Chapters 8 through 12, Judea and Samaria. And chapters 13 through 28, the ends of the earth. The book of Acts ends with Paul proclaiming the kingdom of God with all boldness, with all boldness and without hindrance. And it, it kind of, as I've told you before, it kind of stops. We don't know how it ends because it hasn't ended yet. And we are living in Acts 29 today as the kingdom continues to be built as we give witness to God to God's work in our lives. And in fact, that's the theme of the book of Acts is right here. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. What he prophesies of the disciples is our command today to be my witnesses. What Jesus is telling us, right? Just speak with others about all that you've seen and known and experienced with Jesus. It's a great application of the book. Just as the apostles were witnesses to Jesus, just like Peter and John and Stephen and Paul and Barnabas and Silas and Timothy all gave witness to the risen Christ, so we also are called to give witness to the lost and dying world of the reality of a living Jesus who rules and reigns in our hearts. But as we're looking through this this morning, this text through the lens of waiting, that's because what the disciples were doing 
uh, I think there's a, a good application here as well, is to, to wait for power. They're waiting for the Holy Spirit to receive power, so also we ought to wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. He says, you will, not, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. And, and certainly that came about in the book of Acts when they received the Holy Spirit coming upon them. When they received this, this power on the day of Pentecost, they were, they were filled with power to speak other languages. Peter was filled with power to preach the word so that thousands believed. Peter continued his powerful, witness-bearing preaching throughout the book of Acts. And Stephen preached, even filled with power of the Holy Spirit. Paul was filled with the power in his preaching. And Acts chapter 4, verse 33 says it well, is with great power that the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. And I just say, if you want boldness in your old speaking about Jesus to, to be his witnesses, I think look to the power of the Holy Spirit. You, you're not going to do it in the, the If the results are, are the Spirit's anyway, it doesn't make sense to be empowered by the Spirit to, to seek his results. So seek that in your in your speaking with other people and your bearing witness. Just trust and wait for the, the power of the Spirit to come to give you that boldness. That means wait for it like we wait for the kingdom, right? We long for it. You like kingdom come. We long for the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives that we might speak and be as witnesses strongly. But the power of the acts, uh, the apostles demonstrate also in their healing power. When Peter and John healed the lame man, the religious leaders called them to stand before them and they asked, by what power or by what name did you do this? The the leaders recognized they had a, a, a healing power. They said, where's that power from? And Peter then stood up Acts chapter 4, verse 8, being filled with the Holy Spirit, it says, right, being empowered by the Holy Spirit, he said, rulers of the people and elders. If we're being uh, examined today concerning good deed done to a, a crippled man by what means he's been made well, made well, let this be known to all of you and to all the house of Israel by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. By him, by his power, this man is standing before you well today. It's the healing power of Jesus. Where did it come from? It came from the Holy Spirit in their lives. It's baptizing that. I think the power of the Spirit was demonstrated in the prayer. When, when Peter and John then gave that testimony before the religious leaders, and they were flogged and released, told not to speak anymore in the name of Jesus, the church gathered together. They, they lifted their voice together, God, and praying, and said, Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and sea and all things in them, right? They quoted Psalm 2 and how the, the nations conspired against the king and against his anointed. And then they prayed for boldness. And when they finished praying, it says the place in which they had gathered together was shaken. And they're all filled with boldness. Filled with the Holy Spirit and continue to speak the word of God with boldness. They they had power in their praying. So the Holy Spirit came upon them and just anointed them in the power that afterwards the place was shaken. I, I think that's literal. I think there was an earthquake of some type. But God's confirmation <clears throat> Such was the power of the apostles. The power of spirit also demonstrated in their community. I think their love and care for one another was seen by, by how they cared. Listen to the testimony of the early community of believers. Acts chapter 4, verse 32 through 35. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what they sold. And they laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as they had need. 
And I think this came about because of the direct power of God in the lives of the people in the church. Just the power to trust Him and His kingdom and we're willing like, to make great financial sacrifices to help people. There's not a needy person among them. And I think even today, the Holy Spirit directly contributes to our lives as well. Have you ever considered uh, Genesis, Galatians 5, 22-23? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That is the fruit of the capital S Spirit. The fruit of the Holy Spirit. In other words, right? The, the power that the Holy Spirit produces in our lives is these things. The Holy Spirit produces love. The Holy Spirit produces joy. The Holy Spirit produces peace and patience and kindness and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. And I think that we should wait upon the Lord for that power in our life to experience that. Now, we may not quite be in the position of the apostles to speak languages that we've never known before or command lame people to walk or dead people to rise. And I've never experienced a prayer meeting where things have shaken But I do know that Galatians 5, we are in a position to wait for the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives so that we would walk rightly. So we would walk this life in which the the fruit of the Spirit works. It's interesting that Paul says at the end of, of Galatians 5, verse 23, after this list of all these things that is the fruit of the Spirit, gentleness, self control, he says this against such things there is no law. So, in other words, right, when when the Spirit comes upon you, the Spirit will power you to walk in a, in a Spirit-filled life that loves other people. That's the fruit of the Spirit is love. That, that is joyful. That even through the circumstances you're waiting for some trial will give you joy. That will give you a peace even through all the midst of the, the trials of things you're waiting for. The, the Holy Spirit will give you this peace. Will give you a patience that is a long suffering. I mean, that, that goes right along with waiting, right? The, the patience that just endures this. And through the midst of it, will give you a kindness and goodness. You'll be kind to others because the Spirit is, is working in you as you wait for the power of the Spirit to work in your life. So if you find yourself going through a trial and you're not, not so kind to other people, wait for the power of the Spirit to help give you. That kindness, or goodness, or faithfulness, just the, the commitment to other people and, and live right faithfully. It's the power of the Spirit that helps that. And the power of the Spirit gives a gentleness. It helps in terms of dealing with people, not harshly. And, and when do you deal with people harshly? Isn't it when you're, you're stressed, when things are hard, and when you're like waiting, you're not there? But the Holy Spirit gives this, gives this gentleness and this self-control. Help avoid from sin, right? To walk in the righteous way, to walk in the, in the good way. And as the Spirit does that, there, there's no law against these things. It's not like God is saying, oh, you have to love and you, you have to be joyful and be peace and kindness and goodness and all these commands come and like, oh, God, obey these. No, when the power of the Holy Spirit is in your life, these things will come. And if you lack these things, don't think you're going to get it by memorizing verses necessarily. I mean, the verses are helpful because they're God's Word and help us. But you need the Holy Spirit to come. And you need to wait for the power of the Holy Spirit to, to give you these things. There's, there's no law against us. There's no power that's just going to, by, by your own self, is going to be able to do that. The, the Spirit's going to empower us to conquer sin far better than any rule or law or command. And I think that we should long for the power in our lives. So the disciples... 
right? Awaiting the power of the Holy Spirit uh, upon them so they might go out and preach and all the things happening in church. And I think we ought to do that as well. I think we ought to trust the power of, of the Spirit to come upon us to pray rightly and I think also to live rightly as Galatians 5 says. So I think there's the big application in whatever you're waiting for in this day. Just would encourage you to trust in the promise of God, right? Wait in the promises of God. Long for the kingdom because when you're going through a trial, it's the kingdom where that all ends when you're with Christ in glory. And in the midst of things, really trust and wait for the power of God in your life. It's what the disciples were called to do. I think that's a good application what we're called to do. So let me pray and we'll finish our time here in the Word. Father, we pray that you would help us in these things. Um, Help us to know and balance how it is that we're supposed to wait for you and yet, and yet strive for holiness and purity. How we are to, to long for your kingdom and to wait patiently. God, I pray that uh, for all of us we go through trials and, and difficulties that we would trust in your promises even as things might be long and we might be confused. Our confusion doesn't match the confusion of... Um, of the disciples who didn't understand anything about what, how the Holy Spirit would come or how he would indwell us in a, in a unique way as believers as we are baptized into the body of Christ through the Holy Spirit, through faith. I don't think they understood much of that at all. Job never understood his trials and his waiting. And we may not understand them either, but we can trust in the promises, God, that you'll never leave us nor forsake us. So help us, O oh God, to even think about what the situation of the disciples and how they waited, how they were told to wait, and how we also must wait for many things in this life. God, and I do pray that that time when we, when we finally um, see the realization of all our dreams in glory with you, God, when all of our troubles are cast aside and they're all laid down at the foot of the cross, And Jesus is ruling and reigning over us. And and our God is with us. And we are with him. Uh, God, I I pray that 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 day would be a great day of rejoicing because of of how we've waited. As David said in Psalm 40, I waited patiently with the Lord. He inclined his ear to me and heard my prayer. Um, Father, so also just even him giving testimony of how he waited and saw you being faithful. God, may that redound to your glory. Um, in heaven someday and as we as we wait for things in this life and and see you faithful and true may may those merely be things also that we can be your witnesses about how you sustained us through our trials and and been faithful through them god help us to to be witnesses through the book of acts as we continue week by week to go through this marvelous book pray in jesus name amen